The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You're listening to Making Life Brighter on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, where we provide you with the latest information in natural healing, consciousness training, and all cutting-edge healing modalities. Featuring experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists, Making Life Brighter will be a forum for healing, inspiring, and uplifting entertainment. Here's your host, Winifred Adams. Hello, this is Making Life Brighter, and I'm your host, Winifred Adams, and today we have a very special, iconic guest with us, Mr. Guy Webster, here in Venice Beach, California. Thank you for coming and being with me today here, Guy. This is a real treat. Well, it's a treat for me, too, because you're my type of person, multi-talented. I like that. Ah, you're sweet. (laughs) Guy is one of the most iconic photographers in our time, and he has shot... just a lifetime of amazing photos of movie stars the greatest musicians we've known and much much more and he has a new book out that we're going to be talking about in part today called Big Shots and I was lucky enough to go to the premiere exclusive debut of that book here in Hollywood when it came out and uh, it was a fantastic party and I got to meet Guy and I was so moved by all of it that we had to sit down, so here we are in his Venice Beach studio today, and this is amazing. To look around here, you feel what must have taken place over all these years. I mean, there's pictures of Bob Dylan, there's Mick Jagger, we've got just about everybody, Ted Danson on the wall, and Jimi Hendrix, the iconic photo. So tell me how you began this journey. I know that, you know, you said that you were born and raised in, in Beverly Hills here, and you were well-educated. But what brought you into photography? Where did that passion come from? I never thought of being a photographer. I was a, a good artist, a painter and sculptor, but I was studying political science in school. And the Vietnam War came, and I had to go in to the Army, but I was from a Quaker school. And so I went in as a conscientious objector and said, look, I'll come in for six months and do my duty, but no, I'm not going to shoot guns at people. There's no way. I'm a Buddhist by nature. And they they bought it. And, you know, we were in conflict in Vietnam, but it wasn't so serious when I was in there. So they said, well, look, we'll give you a good job. Now, I'm telling you this story it's kind of the weirdest story that ever happened to me. But when I went in the Army, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a grunt for six months. And it turns out the guy that I went in with was connected to the mob. And this guy, the two of us drove up there to go in. And I go, well, Jesus, what are we going to do? We're going to have to go through basic and do all this stuff. He says, no, no, I've got it all taken care of. We're going to live in a private home in Carmel. And you're going to 
go with me every morning at nine in the morning and just do a job for the army and then go home at night and on the weekends we'll have weekend pass i said well how did you arrange this he says i can't tell you how it was arranged but let me tell you everybody was paid off i'm going okay so we lived beautifully this is typical of my life my whole life worked well it's like a fairy tale really it's like a fairy tale but this is just one example of how my life worked I was always under a a lucky star my whole life since I was a a baby so I'm in the army and the guy says "Uh, what do you want to do Uh, the colonel and I said I don't know what do you got and he says well you're an artist you want to decorate Christmas trees and I'm going okay so for three months I bought Christmas trees with wax. We had trucks, and we went up north and bought the trees and brought them down. And I spent three months putting them into all the barracks and decorating them. And I would give the instructions to the girls who were working for me, the wax, put a blue ball there and a silver ball there, on and on and on. It's over with. I did hundreds of trees. Now time to take them down. Now there's three months left of the six months. And the guy says to me, so, Guy, you did a great job. There's, there's our lunch in the middle it's of the lunch. Room. Well, that told you how lucky time. I am. But anyway, what happens is this. He says, well, we've got an opening in the photo department. Uh, would you like to work in the photo department? And I go, well, yeah. He says, well, do you know anything about photography? He says, oh, yeah, I know everything about photography. And uh, I've learned in my life, if you lie at the right time, you can get ahead. <laughs> And you have to know what you're doing. And I knew this was the time to lie because the photo department sounded incredible. So I said, sure, yeah, I know everything about it. I knew nothing. I went to the Post Library that night. I was a quick read, so I read three books, went in the next morning and started teaching people how to mix chemicals and load their film. I had never taken a photograph in my life. And so because I knew this famous film producer, on one of my weekends back, to L.A., he said, Guy, you're in the Army, you're in the photo department, take my um, camera, you're going to like it, it's a Nikon with a 50mm lens, and shoot some pictures. And I go, God, well, that's great, I'll do that. So I bought a roll of film. I was so naive, I didn't realize that you could take 35 pictures of the same thing. I did one picture (laughs) of each thing that I wanted to photograph, and they were great. I'll show you one later okay. if you want to see. Yes, I'd love to see. And they were so good that people were saying to me, Guy, you've got to go to art school with this stuff. They'll go nuts. And I go, well, I'm supposed to go to Yale. And my dad would go nuts if I don't go to Yale because he's been dreaming of me doing that my whole life. What were you supposed to be? <laughs> well, I had a seat on the stock exchange waiting for me. Uh, I had wealthy people. My family were wealthy, but... Uh, my uncle was very wealthy, and he was a stockbroker and uh, high end. Mm-hmm. And I would have been guaranteed, you know, being wealthy, mm-hmm. and I would have lived in New York. None of which I really wanted to do. So when I found photography, I went to the Art Center School of Design, and they looked at my pictures, and they said, "You did these pictures on one roll of film?" I said, "That's all I've ever photographed." I said, "Oh, you got to come here, go to school." So I went home and I told my parents. That, you know, I have no money because I'm in the, the Army. There's no money in the Army. I didn't have money to buy a camera. So I gave my camera back to my film producer friend. And I was connected, by the way, with mafia and producers. It's all the same thing. 
people don't realize that the mafia was everywhere in the music business and show business. So they were everywhere in my life. So anyway, I gave the camera back, and I want to go to school. I told my dad, and he said, you're on your own, because I'm not going to back you on this. And I go, well, okay. And so I had a mafia girlfriend, and I, she came over to visit, and I'm going, you're not going to believe it. I want to go to Art Center. I've got no money, no cameras, and they want me to go to school there. And she's like, wait a minute. I'll be right back. And she drives home, and her dad's a made man in the mafia. And she says, you know, guy, right? She said, you know, my dad said he loved you, and he wanted you to have whatever I wanted. Like, God, how great. So she brings over a camera outfit to me, and I have now a way of going to school and a way of earning money because I knew I could take pictures of anything, right? Because all that art training, Renaissance art training, you know. Well, you were clearly self-taught. Yeah. So, I mean, really. <laughs> From that point forward, the first roll of film. Yeah. It just <laughs> well, it was second nature to me uh-huh. because I grew up with the Renaissance art, with Impressionist art. So some of my photographs are Impressionistic, some of them are Italian, Renaissance. So anyway, I go into school with no money. I told them I'll pay them as I can, and they said, fine. And I started shooting pictures of people's children, of their dogs, family shots, anything they wanted, their car. I would do whatever it was to make 50 bucks. Now, 50 bucks was a lot of money in those days. I could buy a lens for $50. So within six months... I've got money coming in, shooting all this periphery stuff. And I loved school. I loved the Art Center School. Um, Mr. Potts, the teacher, was the great teacher. And I didn't want to do what they wanted me to do. They wanted me to shoot tabletop stuff, mm-hmm. uh, commercial stuff. I said, that's not who I am. If I do this, I'm going to be shooting people. And that's what I'm going to do. And they said, well... You're going to suffer because if you don't do what the class wants you to do, you're not going to get the best grades. But I said, I don't care about that. I'm shooting people. And that's what I did. And then how the story ends is um, I've been doing this now for a year and a half, almost two years, shooting people. And this guy that I'm playing basketball with, his name is Lou Adler. And Lou says to me, you know, uh, I hear you're this insanely good photographer. And, you know, I have no money. I'm just getting started. But he had mafia money behind him, too. We all did. And um, he said, I'm going to uh, start a record company. I want you to come in with me, be the photographer, art director, whatever. You know? And I go, okay, I'll do that. I was really never thinking of being commercial at all. But it sounded like fun. First of all, I liked Lou. I knew him through Terry Melcher, who was also a record producer. Terry and I, when I was in school, shot an album cover for fun so that we could sleep with a girl on the cover. She was so hot and sexy. This is for real. And neither of us got to sleep with her, but the cover was successful. Columbia loved it. And I was just a young student at the time. So they, they liked me. And so the minute I became a professional now, out of school, they were feeding me albums to do. So that's how my career started. And Lou, of course, Mamas and the Papas and Carol King and all of that, and we all started making money, big money, money that I never thought I was going to make. As an artist, my dream was to live in Big Sur, sell a print for $100, 
an art print. And I never did one of those things. <laughs> I ended up with Lou, and we had such a good time and so much fun. And it was all new and money pouring in, and I didn't know what to do. It was crazy. How fortunate were you? Yeah, well, my whole life was like that. My whole life. What's amazing to me is you knew immediately that you wanted to shoot people. Yeah. You know, yeah. people spend young people spend their lifetime looking for what they want to do and honing in on a skill, usually. Yeah. But you, not even wanting to be into photography right off the bat, you knew immediately, given the choice, it's people for me. Yeah. Well, I saw great photography at museums. Irving Penn, Avedon, those guys. And I knew what you could do with photography mm-hmm. as an art in the commercial world. But that's not where I thought I was going to go. Yeah. I wanted to shoot people. Like, my first photograph was a migrant child worker in the fields in Salinas, mm-hmm. which is near where I was in the Army, in Fort Ord. So that's what I was interested in, sort of social change. And that was part of why I loved Bob Dylan so much, who influenced me as a student in college. And um, well, that, That's amazing. We're, we're going to take a break, a quick sure. break, and we'll be right back with more Guy Webster and his amazing stories. We're going to hear a little bit about why he uh, wanted to shoot Bob Dylan, and he has an enormous print right behind us here of Bob and the wall, and he's about to show these up in Northern California. So you're listening to Making Life Brighter, and if you need to listen to this archive or would like to access it, you can find it on iTunes on the podcast as well as on the website under the radio tab. You can join our mailing list and find out more, and you can also watch this outtake on YouTube later, so stay tuned. Making Life Brighter, your health and healing resource. With 20 years of successful healing, medical intuitive Winifred Adams has assisted thousands of people with their health and emotional well-being, including a celebrity clientele. An expert in emotional healing and body system health, Winifred specializes in emotional trauma and hard-to-solve cases. An official guide to John of God, Winifred works with people from all over the world to facilitate optimum health. Visit MakingLifeBrighter.com for more information and a discount off your first session. Appointments available in person or by Skype. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 50 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Journey to John of God for healing with your guide, medical intuitive Winifred Adams. 
Experience healing with the world's most revered transmedium, John of God. Witness incredible healings, visit the sacred waterfall, and experience the heart-opening wonders of the Casa de Dominacio in Brazil. For more information, visit MakingLifeBrighter.com. Tune in and visit the archived shows to learn of the miraculous healing with John of God. Special offer when you mention you heard it on the Health and Wellness Channel. See the website for details, www.MakingLifeBrighter.com. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. And we're back. This is Making Life Brighter, and this is Winifred Adams. Today I'm here with Guy Webster, iconic photographer, who has just released the amazing book, Big Shots. And you can find it on Amazon.com. And if you don't have this book, you must have this book. This is the perfect Christmas gift this year and every year thereafter because this book will last the test of time. Guy has shot some of the great greats in all the pictures that you know of and that you can identify without even thinking he's done it. So we're talking with Guy today, and we want to talk a little bit about the great artists that you've worked with, like the Rolling Stones, and when you first met the Rolling Stones, and how you got to shoot them exactly, and you know, you have pictures of that in the book itself, and how they were to work with. Yeah, well, they were great, and first of all, what we were talking about before, I was comfortable shooting portraits and people, and the reason I think I was is that... I never looked down on people or felt insecure for myself. I felt equal to everybody that I worked with, and they felt that. So they were comfortable with me, and I knew exactly what we were going to do. It wasn't like, oh, we're sure to do it. Oh, you stand there. It's none of that. It was, I was in charge. And they liked that. And they felt comfortable with that. I'm sure they did, really, because you do have a, a, a gentle but very directive nature. I am a director. There's no doubt about it, and I was completely self-confident. I don't know that I was correct to be so (laughs) self-confident at that time because I was just getting started in the business, but I just loved it and loved them. And first of all, the Stones were a blues band, and I'm a blues aficionado. I've been listening to blues since I was about nine years old. Um, I had blues in my house as a child, people like Big Joe Turner singing, Um, but... You had the live blues. Yeah, the real blues. But I had a um, crystal set that I used to listen to. It was the only present my father ever gave to me when I was nine years old was a crystal set. And I built it. It was a hobby thing. Put the aerial on the roof and earphones and listened to Dolphins of Hollywood. If you're an L.A. person my age, you know Dolphins of Hollywood. It was the black race station. That's what they were called in those days, the race stations. And I listened to the blues every night. And I was completely in love with it. And so when the Stones came along, separate from the Beatles, it's not that I did dislike the Beatles, but they were bland and pablum to me mm-hmm. in the beginning. Later, they became great artists. But in the beginning, they were just, I want to hold your hand. I mean, bubblegum music. So the Stones were singing real blues. They were getting it from the great black artists. And America didn't discover the blues 
until the English brought the attention to the blues for the first time. So, when I was told that I was going to be shooting the Stones, I was very excited because I loved everything they were doing, and um, Ryan Jones was the leader of the band, and he had the blues band. It was the Rolling Stones. They did nothing but the blues. And I'm going, oh my God, this is perfect for me. And so Brian and I really connected. I connected with Mick too, but Brian and I had a, a musical connection. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I come from a musical background, even though that was not part of my life, um, they felt that I knew a lot about music, which I did. So we were comfortable talking about it. That helped in our shooting. The other thing I learned was very early on, psychologically, a group, when they're all together, are powerful mm -hmm. and dangerous and can push you around. But if you separate them and take a picture of one by himself and then they're another vulnerable. by himself, they're vulnerable <laughs> and yeah. you can be malleable with them and uh, make something good happen. So that's what I learned quickly in this world that I was brilliant. in. And I did that with the Stones. And after that, we did the group shots. And they had already had that connection with me. And I made it, I used to call myself Painless Potter. Now that's a reference to Bob Hope in a movie where he was a dentist, Painless Potter. And I said, look, I'm the photographer, Painless Guy, because I'm not going to work a whole role on one of you. I'll do three or four shots and I'll move on because oh I know gosh. what I want. Can you imagine? Like today, that would never happen. It would be a, well, you know, yeah, but see, they don't want, no, but they don't want that time. Right. They're on a time schedule. These guys, oh, they care about getting the recording studio. Mm -hmm. So they invited me into the studio with them. I go to pick them up at um, the Beverly Wilshire Hotel and we're going to go out for the day in a limousine. So they've got the limousine and the driver and the whole thing. So we jump in there, my camera equipment. I don't, in those days, take anybody with me. It's just me and the group I'm working with. Later on, I had to because I was doing so many shootings a week. Mm -hmm. I had to have help. But in those days, so we get into the limousine, and all these girls are outside, and they jam the car so their faces are in every window, and it turns out all the lights inside the car. It's pitch black because of these screaming girls who don't allow any light to come in. And I'm going, oh my God, this is what it was like with Frank Sinatra, whom I knew quite well, by the way, Frank Sinatra. When he was a young man, he had that same adoration. And now I knew what he was talking about. It was frightening. And scary. Yeah, well, the women maybe really distrust women for a while because if their hormones could make them that crazy at 14 and 15, <laughs> I realized that I'm in trouble here. You know? Anyway, so that was it. Then, then we went off on that tour with the, with the limousine, had a great shooting, and we're still using those pictures now. Tashin has the pictures in their new book that's coming out. You have a big portrait of Mick Jagger right behind you on the wall here, and uh, that's about to go on display and you have many pictures within the book itself, big shots. What, what did you feel when you shot that picture with Nick? Well, that? yeah, I was old school in the sense that everybody with a 35-millimeter camera can shoot pictures. You know, they may not compose it correctly or get the right light, but they can get a shot. So I said, oh, I'm going to do that on a 4x5 camera. Right. Do it something different. Yeah. And so that's why I can blow it up to a wall size, because I did that. And it gives it a different look. 
there's more detail. Yeah. And then I shot them 35 too, but that was what I did with a lot of the guys. And I shot a lot of them on two and a quarter mm-hmm. Hasselblads because that oh, allowed you beautiful. to blow them up. Yeah, and it gives you a great quality. Do you use the Hasselblads today in the digital? No, I don't use the Hasselblad because my 5D Canon yeah. is so good for what I'm doing right now. I, I will get one probably, or when they come down in price. But it's kind of cheating, isn't it? I mean, you use the real thing in the in the way it was meant to be used right yeah. from the get go, right? And yeah, but there's, came out of that. there's nothing cheating. Here, let me put it this way: photography, it's all fair game. Okay. Shoot with film if you want to. Shoot digitally. It's all art. It's how you apply it. Um, I get just as much fun shooting digital mm-hmm. as I do uh, film. Think about it. I went off on a shooting. Uh, the other day, shot 10 shots. I had the picture that I wanted, and I quit. You're so rare. Yeah. This is so rare. Well, I don't want to waste my time. Because, <laughs> look at Winifred, if I have my free time, I ride motorcycles. Do you know that about yes, me? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes. That's what I do. Everything else is an excuse to make money to buy motorcycles. You're an example of how to live life. That's what that's what your whole Absolutely. life is about. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because people think the rock stars I'm going to drink to that. And the, yeah. <laughs> amen to that. And the, the movie stars that you shot have the life, but frankly, I think you've had the life. It's a much better life. I'm close with a lot of movie stars. My whole life I've been close to. They've got their fans to deal with. I have no fans. I love it. I'm a, you know, anonymous. You're a free agent in the world, yeah. really. When I really became famous though, as a rock photographer, I could get a seat in any restaurant. They knew me in L.A. because I'd come in with famous people or something like that. Hey, guy, I got a great seat for you. Yeah. So I got that. That was a little bit of celebrity, but not much. Mm-hmm. And uh, one, my closest friend in the world is Ted Danson. Yes. And we're like brothers. And I travel with him a lot. Our two families like live together and I watch what goes on with him the adoration from fans Ted Ted they call across the street can we get a picture and he's so sweet mm-hmm. and loving he allows it and I see how he has to live always looking over your shoulder at some crazy who could cause you some harm too right. and someone you think is approaching it might be kind and in fact they're not I think a lot of people that don't live in LA don't realize that that there are so many people that really push the boundary. And, you know, we make commentary about the people we see on TV, but you don't realize the danger when you're in it. Mm-hmm. it there really is real danger. Well, we all live in Martha's Vineyard a lot during the year. Mm-hmm. And there the people leave you alone. Right. And Ted can walk down the street and they'll yell, Hey, Ted! Like that, and that's about it. And his wife is Mary Steenburge, an Academy Award winning actress, who was one of my best friends. And... She doesn't get it as much because she's not TV. Mm-hmm. The TV people have so much TVQ, right. they get it more than the movie stars. I mean, I've been with Jack walking. Nobody even knows who he is. I mean, he knows how to walk. Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson, yeah. Jack is the cover of your book. And tell us quickly how you came to... Choosing have, that one? This is, yeah, primarily, seemingly a book... It has an awful lot of musical, iconic photography in it. Why Jack on the cover? Well, he's not been on a cover. Ah. And he's the <laughs> sexiest man, or was particularly, in the world. And when women see that picture on the cover, they go, oh my God, he's so gorgeous, you know? And so. It's an instant picture to look at. That's you turn right. and you look at it. And, and then I've got Mick on the backside of the book. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And they can find some of these iconic rock and roll pictures inside 
And what I tried to do, I'll just tell you real quick, is I put in a lot of unseen photographs yeah. that nobody's seen before. Thank you, by the way. Yeah, I wanted to do that for people. Uh, and like, because this is an example with Jim. Jim Morrison. <coughs> yeah, Jim Morrison. Uh, that shirt offended me because I remember they were $3 on the Venice Boardwalk. That same shirt, that's where he got it, you know. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really a hippie shirt. It was, you buy it off a rack on the Venice Boardwalk. I said, take the shirt off and let's do some shots with your body naked from the waist up. And that's where we got the album cover. Awesome. And then in this book is my first choice for the album cover. And I lived with it, the two different pictures, the blue one, the multiple thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, nope, I'm going with the one I designed. And uh, that was the iconic one. And the guys got angry with me, the other guys was in the group. Was it your choice? Everything, everything was my choice. Really? Oh, no. I had they no art director. Listen, I had so much power. I could design it, everything, the cover. They, and I gave them the cover. They the companies and they go great great you know wow we'll be yeah. right back with more Guy Webster and his amazing book Big Shots stay tuned and we're going to hear more about Bob Dylan and the rest of his amazing life as we know it How many times have you heard this? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You are what you eat. I've tried every diet. Diets don't work. It's time to stop this kind of madness and start thinking and feeling empowered to change your health. Tune in to The Raw Truth with Chef Sharon Fraser. Join us weekly for thought-provoking conversations with world-renowned experts in the food, medical, holistic, sports medicine, chiropractic, and naturopathic health sciences. The Raw Truth airs live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Making life brighter, your health and healing resource. With 20 years of successful healing, medical intuitive Winifred Adams has assisted thousands of people with their health and emotional well-being, including a celebrity clientele. An expert in emotional healing and body system health, Winifred specializes in emotional trauma and hard-to-solve cases. An official guide to John of God, Winifred works with people from all over the world to facilitate optimum health. Visit MakingLifeBrighter.com for more information and a discount off your first session. Appointments available in person or by Skype. Journey to John of God for healing with your guide, medical intuitive Winifred Adams. Experience healing with the world's most revered transmedium, John of God. Witness incredible healings, visit the sacred waterfall, and experience the heart-opening wonders of the Casa de Dominacio in Brazil. For more information, visit MakingLifeBrighter.com. Tune in and visit the archived shows to learn of the miraculous healing with John of God. Special offer when you mention you heard it on the Health and Wellness Channel. See the website for details, www.MakingLifeBrighter.com. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions, comments, or would like to make an appointment with medical intuitive Winifred Adams, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. 
That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. Making Life Brighter, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. Now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. And we're back with more Guy Webster here, talking about his amazing book, Big Shots, and you can find that on Amazon.com. We've been talking with Guy about his career and shooting great music icons and how he had control over the industry that he worked in, unlike they do today. So, Guy, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Bob Dylan. You have a huge portrait of him here on the wall. And who was Bob to you, and how did you meet Bob? Well, that's a great question, because um, I met him by chance for Columbia Records, asked me to do the photograph, and um, because they saw rock and roll called Guy. So I shot so many things for them for Columbia Records, and I was their West Coast photographer, even though I was working for other companies at the same time. But the thing about Bob is, I heard when I was in college, one of his first recordings out of New York City, I'm listening to this music, and and I grew up in a musical family with songs day and night, and I had never heard anything like it. I was very much um, kind of into the Weavers and those kind of groups that sang American folk songs. But Bob Dylan took the folk song to modern times. And, man, I heard Masters of War for the first time, and I'm going, oh, my God, who is this guy? And then I heard, you know, the times they are changing, things like that. But I listened to that album over and over again. And I never thought I was going to meet him because I wasn't into photography at the time. I was a political science major at school. But he influenced me because I said, God, there's somebody out there that thinks the way I do. Mm-hmm. Left-wing activist. Um, I was rabidly left-wing. I grew up, you know, with um, the communist scare and McCarthyism, and I was I so detested it. And I was so ashamed of America for buying into this kind of bullshit. And being a political science major, I understood it was all about self-aggrandizement. That mm-hmm. He was an insane man. But anyway, Bob Dylan spoke to me the truth. I know it. If I believed in God, I would say something from God came through his body and put out this incredible body of work. But it wasn't that. The timing was right. His education was right. He had great influences. New York City, folk music scene. There's a great play that I just saw recently about this. But anyway, I listened to that stuff, and I kept telling my friend Terry Melcher, who was producing records, and he was producing the birds and things like that. And I go, you got to listen to Bob Dylan. Keep listening to Bob Dylan. It's the future. And I was wrong, because it wasn't the future, but it did create some great songs. And, uh, but it created a future. It, didn't, yeah, it wasn't but, the future, but it created right. something that lasted Yes, it lasted, but uh, the kids today, they listen to a little Bob Dylan, but they don't know how powerful this was because they're into their laptops and their... Well, they don't have the stuff. political scene that we had, no. you had then. Anyway. They could, but they don't choose to do it. Mm-hmm. The Millennium Gang, these young kids, I love them. Uh, they come through the studio, and they're great artists and musicians. I like them all. But they're just letting the world deal with itself. They're not going to contribute money to any particular cause. They're not going to go march. Mm-hmm. It takes somebody with a lot of money to go to Washington and march. Right. 
you got to get an airline ticket, you got to make a sign and go out there and get a hotel. <laughs> Very expensive. But anyway, that's sidetracking. So Bob Dylan was my guy. I sort of put everybody, you know, like Peter, Paul, and Mary, sweet. You know, they're harmless, sweet lefties, which I liked. But Bob Dylan was the real deal. And there were others like him. But well, he, he was didn't apologize for what he believed in. No. He put it forward. Yeah, and I just, that was it. So he changed me politically because I became more of an activist after listening to his music. And I talked to people about him a lot. Mm-hmm. My parental age group, uh, my father's families and like that, I let them know who Bob Dylan was. And, and what was your relationship with him? How, what was it like to work with him? Well, I worked with him at Columbia Records, mm-hmm. and I did that iconic shot. I love that shot, by the way. Thanks. It's like coming up underneath his jawline, and you see yeah. he, gets, he has a glint in his eye, like a little bit of mischief, or he's yeah. thinking something. But that's all. I just worked with him that afternoon, and then at Columbia Records, but then I worked with him many years later. It must have been 15 years ago at some show where I was on stage with him and took some pictures, but he was getting pretty haggard and tired looking at that time. But that was the time. He influenced me. He was the best or biggest influence in my life. He and a man named Alan Watts, who's the great Buddhist teacher, um, he, he was an alcoholic and probably a, a playboy, but it's not him that I was studying. It was what he was preaching. Well, he was, yeah. It was, he was really he was good. Being- is there someone in music that stands out for you besides Bob? A shoot that you did that was just like over the top? Yeah, well, there's one group that I'm still enthralled with, and that's Captain Beefheart and his magic band. Uh, people today don't know him, but they're very collectible. And their music is so avant-garde from the period that today it's even avant-garde. Mm-hmm. That's how good this group was. Where were they? They were in L.A. He was Don Van Fleet, and his photographs are some of my favorite. And I'm going to do a show of just Captain Beefheart. Right. And in the movie, uh, what's the name of the movie, Revolution? or High Fidelity. High Fidelity. The movie High Fidelity, they show my album cover of Captain Beefheart as the one album they're not going to sell to anybody. It's that collectible. Amazing. Yeah. So I felt really proud about that. Oh, fantastic. And I, I did two major covers for them and I just loved him as a matter of fact he comes into my studio and um, he goes uh, so Guy uh, have you heard my music? I go no I've never heard your music and he says well it's kind of Abba Zabba I go no kidding Abba Zabba <laughs> so I went out and bought an Abba Zabba candy bar and I used that for the graphics on the cover oh I love it Yeah, that's beautiful Yeah. So, See, but I, I had a great relationship with him that's fun, passion. Now, you've obviously worked with a lot of Hollywood, and we have just a few minutes before our break, but we'll, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your relationship with Natalie Wood. You have her in this book, and you know she's just come up recently again in the news of that whole situation to her, her life and death. And While I'm eating meat, I'll tell you about Natalie. <laughs> tell us okay. about Natalie. You can watch me eat this. <laughs> One more. All right. Natalie was a good friend. Mm-hmm. She was a friend of yours. Yeah. And a friend of my first wife. Mm-hmm. Um, she was damaged goods. Maybe having a very strong, strange mother. I'm not sure what it was. 
She was very vulnerable. She needed a man to take care of her and to love her. And she chose bad guys. And so... How did you come to know her? Well, I double dated with her. Oh, okay. We'd go out, the four of us. Mm-hmm. She had this guy, weird boyfriend. All of her boyfriends were weird. RJ may be okay, I don't know. I've met him, but I don't know if he's a good guy. But I'm suspicious about her death. I, I think they, you might be. Yeah, I think they probably heard her crying for help and didn't do anything because they were drunk. Mm-hmm. And she was mad at them. Anyway, that's my call. I'm, I may not be correct. But um, I photographed her numerous times, and the one that I like, I've got it here on the wall somewhere. Oh, I think it's in the other room. Uh, this funny story about that was we had this great relationship and she was very comfortable with me. We're out in the country and a limo drives by and it's Jim Morrison in the limo and the window goes down and this bearded fat guy. And I, he says, Guy, what are you doing? And I said, Who is this? Who are you? I had no idea it was Jim. He was so out of shape. He said, yeah, I'm moving to Paris. I'm leaving in a week. I said, God, that's so weird because I'm moving to Spain. I'm going to buy a house over in Menorca. And, but we'll stay in touch. If you're in Paris, I'll come see you. And so we shook hands. I introduced him to Natalie. And she enjoyed meeting him. And he enjoyed meeting her. But he never left the car because he was enormous. You know? So he pulls out, and I never saw him again. And, you know, I moved to Europe, and he moved to Europe, and he died soon after. It's like fate. Yeah. He was almost saying goodbye to you, in a sense. In a way, because, you know, we went to college together at UCLA, so I knew him from his straight days before he was the Lizard King, you know. What was it like to know somebody that way, and then all of a sudden you see them larger than life, and the world worships them, and then... No, they didn't worship him when I saw him for that shoot for the album cover. Right. Uh, That was our first shoot together. He walked into my studio and says, Guy... I'm going, who are you? He said, I'm Jim. You know, we went to school together, UCLA, and in philosophy class. Oh, my God, because he had long hair with the ribbon shirts and stuff like that. Before that, we were in UCLA garb, you know, khakis and a polo shirt or whatever it was. So it was great to see him again. And that's why I also felt confident with the group. I knew their music. I liked it. And so I said, well take your shirt off yeah. and in the movie because I wasn't good for the film they used a girl an actress to be the photographer in the film and she says take your shirt off and made it a sexy thing I never did it for that I knew he was so beautiful with the hair and he was Jesus like that I got to put that on the cover that's fantastic and so I put the guys in the in the other eye it's actually this eye here and um, they were pissed off with it because they weren't large like like Jim. But it worked. I knew it was going to work, it and worked. I had control. You understand? Yeah. Because the art directors at Electro, anything I wanted to do, I could do. Yeah. And every album I did was number one in the country. So they go, oh, let's we'll go with what Guy says. And you won an award uh, by Rolling Stone, right? Well, not for that one. That was for Procol Harum. Ah, okay. Yeah. Very good, very good. Well, we'll be right back with some more Guy Webster. You're listening to Making Life Brighter. And you can find the archive of this show at makinglifebrighter.com on the radio tab, or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We're 
here featuring today his book, Big Shots. And if you're interested in buying the book, it's a great gift, and it's a coffee table book you'll look after many, many, many times. It's on Amazon.com. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Journey to John of God for healing with your guide, medical intuitive Winifred Adams. Experience healing with the world's most revered transmedium, John of God. Witness incredible healings, visit the sacred waterfall, and experience the heart-opening wonders of the Casa de Dominacio in Brazil. For more information, visit makinglifebrighter.com. Tune in and visit the archived shows to learn of the miraculous healing with John of God. Special offer when you mention you heard it on the Health and Wellness Channel. See the website for details, www.makinglifebrighter.com. Making Life Brighter, your health and healing resource. With 20 years of successful healing, medical intuitive Winifred Adams has assisted thousands of people with their health and emotional well-being, including a celebrity clientele. An expert in emotional healing and body system health, Winifred specializes in emotional trauma and hard-to-solve cases. An official guide to John of God, Winifred works with people from all over the world to facilitate optimum health. Visit MakingLifeBrighter.com for more information and a discount off your first session. Appointments available in person or by Skype. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions, comments, or would like to make an appointment with medical intuitive Winifred Adams, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. Making Life Brighter, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. Now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. And we're back. This is Making Life Brighter, and we're here today with Guy Webster, iconic photographer with his amazing book, Big Shots. So, Guy, we were talking about all the huge artists that you've shot and the people you've been friends with for, you know, all these years, and these pictures in this book are astounding, but I love the stories that go with them, and that's why this book is so special. It has these the stories, the history, and I'd like to ask you about Joan Hackett. She, this is a black and white photo toward the end of the book, and tell us a little bit about why this is such a meaningful picture to you. Yeah, it's meaningful because um, I really liked her. I liked her as an actress. She was an intellect, um, very interesting woman, and she had a dark side, which I saw right away, and she let me photograph that. When, that's very vulnerable, you know, to right. allow that and let you in there. And so I've always liked that photograph. I have many shots of her, but that's the one I choose for myself. That great sadness, I have that sadness. Okay, it's in me. 
it's part of my Spanish blood, and it goes with being Spanish. That kind of great deep sadness. Yet I get through life happy and joyful. It's a decision I make. But I'm sad for the state of the world, and that we're no better or worse than a pride of lions. We'll kill whatever we want for food. There's nothing going to stop us. If we want oil, we will kill 250,000 innocent people to keep our oil. And we've done it. And we do it over and over again. Being a political science major, studying in the University of Copenhagen, I would see from afar what America really does in the world. Americans in this country know nothing about what's going on. The subtext. Having studied political science, but until we get off oil... We're going to keep starting wars. Yeah, and hopefully that's going to change very soon here. Well, that's the sadness I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. That's in me every day. The the plight of humanity. Yeah, and also Mm -hmm. man's inhumanity to man. If you look on the SPCA, the abuse to animals is crazy. And when you were shooting some of these um, movie stars and rock stars, surely you were in dangerous situations. Well, there were two. One is kind of minor. Have you ever heard of David Cassidy? Yes. Okay. David Cassidy was a giant star in 1970 to 74. And I was traveling with him throughout Europe in private planes and buses and all of that. And he did Wembley Stadium. And he was as big as the Beatles. I know it sounds crazy, but I was there, I can tell you. And I'm up against the glass wall outside of Wembley Stadium waiting to get in. And the crowd is surging. And we're almost overrun by the crowd. They had to bring dogs out to to scare the people back. And my back was against the wall of window, and it was becoming concave, and I knew it was going to crack, and I was going to go through. I could kill myself. Thank God the dogs came and scared the people off. That was scary physically. Mentally, Electra Records said, hey, I got this group. We want you to do the cover for it. I go, yeah, what's their name? The Holy Modal Rounders. Now, I've told this story to only a couple people. Very few people know this. They go, oh, okay, I, I know who they are. I've never heard their music, but I'd be happy to work with them. Because the leader was the guy who wrote Zabriskie Point for Antonioni. So he was a sentient being, supposedly. So I said to him, let's go shoot. He says, no, we're not ready yet. We're going to call you as soon as we're ready for the shoot. Can you wait? And I go, sure, you call me when you're ready. Four in the morning, like two weeks later, I get a call. Guy, come on over now. We're at the motel. We want you. We want you to shoot us in the motel room. I go, okay. Four in the morning, no problem. I call my two assistants, two guys. They gather up the cameras and the lights, and we go over to the motel. We open the door, and they're all naked on the bed with needles in their arms. (laughs) And I'm going, you want me to shoot this? For the cover? Are you crazy? He goes, yeah, I just want this for the cover. We'll work it out, don't we? We'll work it out. We'll get it done. At that time, you know, I shoot a couple shots. The girl in the group, who's entwined like a snake, gets up and pees on my tripod. Okay? I'm going, that's it. I'm out of here. And we packed up everything and we left. And that was the worst shooting ever. Four in the morning. Yeah, four in the morning. And my wife was going, you know, what are you doing for the morning going to a shoot? I said, this is a rock group, you know. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, of course, the, oh, the album came out with just graphics on it. No, yeah. no photographs. It, it makes, um, you know, rock and roll 
ruining the furniture in the hotel room with Miles. Yeah, well, look up <laughs> Holy Modal Routers. The music wasn't that bad. <laughs> Strange. But, you know, what it, what's the difference for you between shooting the males that you've shot and the females that you've shot? Well, it's a great difference. difference. I mean, it's monumental. The men are comfortable with how they look. Uh, interesting. They're an actor. Right. Or they're a rock star. They don't need makeup unless that's part of their act. Mm-hmm. So they don't care. A female is always just a little overweight. Can you do something about that? Yeah, we'll wear black. Um, full makeup. Retouching. All of that. They are, you know, they're scared to death. It's their image. And I was really good with women because I would say, look, nothing goes out of my studio unless you like it. I promise nice. you that. Oh, we'll never nice. do that. And if you get into a problem with the media, I'm not going to release photographs to the press unless you want me to. You're a guy. And, yeah, so <laughs> they were so comfortable with me and then would do anything. And then I would, if I had to retouch them, which I did, very seldom did, the ones in this book are not retouched. That's what's so brilliant about your work. It, yeah. it, it, it's so it's all lighting. to look at. Thank you. It's all lighting. If the light's right... You don't need to retouch, you know. I think when the mood's right, and it's clear that you do that with these subjects. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, well, once in a while, uh, we'd smoke a joint together if it seemed to relax them, if they asked for it, or white wine. Women like white wine. And I would allow that, even though it could make their eyes a little blurry. I could fix that later, but... I wanted them to relax and have fun with it. But in terms of mood and, and dealing with you, because you're getting in deep with these people, what's yeah. that? I'm also naked with them. They're they're naked. I'm not. I mean, I'm back there while they're getting dressed. They're all comfortable with it. You know? Right. So, yeah, women were I also were think aggressive. that you didn't have the Internet the way it is today. That's right. That's people right. who were in the artistic realms in the world could be artistic That's without right. the rest of the world going, oh, my God. And, yeah. You know, if you were honorable and not releasing photos of people... They probably could actually be who they were. Well, I have a funny story for you. Do you have time for it? Yeah. Okay. I have 30 seconds. Okay, well, really. <laughs> That's not much, but I'll try to squeeze it in. Here we go. So I'm photographing Raquel Welsh, who's a friend. I photographed her numerous times, liked her. We lived near each other, and she was hot. And my wife was jealous of her. And I said, you have no reason to be jealous. I don't fool around. And she's just a friend that I photograph. So she comes to my studio, my wife while I'm photographing Raquel and she's peeking in the window I don't know this right and this is I've got my hairdresser and the makeup people the clothing people there and Raquel turns around and goes guy zip me up would you so I zip her up and my wife watches me do that and I hear a knock on the door (laughs) and she says come out here for a minute I want to talk to you and I go what is it I didn't even know what was the problem she says I saw you zipping up her dress I said I zip up everybody's dress you know, I don't always have people around me. It's nothing. And she says, well, here, try this. And she takes her wedding ring off and throws it in the parking lot at my studio. And I hear this go, dink, 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 down the parking lot and disappear. Oh, and I'm going, no. what have I done? Why did I get married, you know? and But she was a wonderful woman. But she was so jealous of me for no reason. Oh. I never did anything. It just because meant that she loved you. Well, it meant that she was having an affair. <laughs> Well, yeah, whatever somebody reacts to, they're worried about themselves. Oh, my gosh. Sure. Was she having an affair? Not then, but later. Oh, no. Yeah, well, because I was traveling all the time. And when she finally told me, I go, that's okay. I'm gone for six weeks at a time. If you have to have an affair, I don't care. Well, that's part of the Buddhism thing, too, you know. You don't own anybody. I don't want to own anybody. 
and I want to support you just them. get to experience people and that's what just you've done love in this them. book just love them that's it well there you have it everybody yeah. Guy Webster this has yeah. been such a pleasure thank you so very much darling I loved it love to have let's you let's do it again yes. when I can talk let's for hours let's talk some more yeah. and uh, big shots everybody on Amazon.com you're listening to Making Life Brighter this is Music Month on Making Life Brighter and you go jolly we'll see you next week thank you Thank you for listening to Making Life Brighter on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to join us each week at 10 a.m. for information, inspiration, and education with leading experts in healing and consciousness. For more information and a complete show schedule, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. Making Life Brighter, successfully helping you feel better from the inside out. You are my Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.